Hey, we're in a series just this weekend called Follow the Fire. You've heard from two amazing speakers that are near and dear to my heart that have completely different flavors than I do. This is a well-flavored weekend. You feel me? Hey, uh, I just want to take a minute and just, just thank our lead pastors for giving me the opportunity to speak here this morning. It's an honor and a privilege. Um, like J.O. said for a moment, I got saved here in 2016, radically encountered the Holy Spirit, got filled with the Holy Ghost, and haven't looked back. And it's been a wild, wild ride. God's done a lot of amazing things. I want to just have a special shout out to my beautiful wife, Kate, my baby daughter, Sayla. Growing up so fast, she's four months old, almost a teenager. <laughs> Blows me away. Hey, y'all, I serve here over the youth ministry, and because I serve over the youth ministry, a lot of times I have to boil down what I want to speak to make it a little more understandable because I can get a little heady. So today I'm really excited that, that you guys get the fullness of what I would like to share this morning. No boil down. All of it. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Hey, I want to start with a story. I went through a rehab program in 2016 called the Good Samaritan Rehabilitation Program. And it changed my life for forever. It was one of the first times that I read God's word and understood it. It was the first time I stayed in the secret place with God. And it was the first time that I was rebuked. Ooh. I love rebuke. It feels so nice on my, my heart and my spirit now. It didn't then. So I want to share a story of a snowman. See, when you're in good Sam for the first two weeks, you're on a thing called blackout. It means you can't speak to nobody. Nobody can speak to you. You are alienated from your family. At the end of that two weeks, something really awesome happens. Your family gets to come and visit. Uh, my sister's really near and dear to my heart. I love her very dearly. She has a, a little baby boy named Bryce and Brayden. And I was really looking forward to them coming to visit me that weekend after blackout. So what I did one day um, out in the yard, it was snowy. I said, you know what? I'm going to build a snowman for my nephew. Man, I built the coolest snowman I've ever built in my life. It was awesome. And then one day I was sitting on the couch drinking my coffee and a kid that I really didn't like that was also in the program I watched him do a football move and tackle my snowman. Y'all, I was recently saved. The words that came out of my mouth were not holy. I went out there. I got in his face. How dare you tip over my snowman? That's for my nephew. He's going to be here tomorrow. I was mad. And I thought, I thought I was in the right for being upset. So I go inside and I talk to the boss. His name's Stephen Hemming. He's one of my mentors. And I say, Stephen, he knocked over my snowman. <laughs> he pulls me aside into his side room. I think, oh, cool. He's about to encourage me that I did the right thing and that the other dude's an idiot and I'm right. <laughs> no. He looks at me in the eyes, and this dude has the eyes of Jesus, so it's just instant conviction. <laughs> and he says, Logan, you're being really childish right now. And God's going to do a mighty work on your character as you continue to grow with him. And I start sobbing. I don't even know why I was crying. It just felt like Jesus was talking to me in that moment. 
But that was the first correction and rebuke that I received, and it's what set me on the path that I am on today, and something that is instilled deep and deep inside of my heart, which is character. So let me set the stage for you. Growing up without God and living a life of absolute sin led me to have a completely flawed character and outlook on life. See, when I came to know Jesus and truly started to follow him, I had to start from scratch. I had to rebuild my identity, my circle of friends, and most importantly, my character. To be a Christian is to be a little Christ. This means that on our journey, we should be coming more and more like him. See, we can know God. We can find freedom. We can discover purpose. And we can make a difference. But sometimes we need to be reminded of the heart we should have when doing what God has called us to do. See, we've all been called and made with a purpose to carry out God's plan here on earth. Some of us have no idea what our calling is yet, and others may already be walking in it. Today, wherever you're at with Jesus, this message is for you. So I want to ask you a question. What do people remember? If I died today, what would you remember about me? Are you going to be at my funeral saying, Logan was, I mean, he did so good preaching that message about 1 Peter 2. I'll never forget when he exegeted that verse and did such a phenomenal job. No. I mean, I'm excited if you're going to remember that, but I barely remember half the sermons I hear. You know what people remember about you when you're dead? Your character. Man, Logan was a man of integrity. He valued other people above himself. He did the work that God called him to do. Man, if we could all just be more like Logan. (laughs) I should have used someone else in the analogy. (laughs) The point being, if you think people are going to talk about your works when you're dead, newsflash, they're not. They're going to remember the person that you were and the character that you showed them. So, if you remember anything about our talk this morning, I want you to remember this. The key to your calling is your character. We can't just follow Jesus. We must be like Jesus. So, what pieces of your character does he want to develop the most to help you carry out your calling? Can we pray? Father God, Lord, we thank you for this time to gather and dig into your word. God, I pray that this word would go on good soil and it would produce fruit in each and every one of our lives. And I pray you would move through it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. The title of the talk today is The Great Reminder. The Great Reminder. We will primarily be reading out of 2 Peter chapter 1, but before we do, I want to set a little context to the scripture. See, 2 Peter takes place near the end of Peter's life in 67 to 68 AD. These very very well could have been some of his final words written to the church. 
There has been some debate on the authorship of this letter, as the writing in 1 Peter compared to 2 Peter does seem to have a different feel and writing style. Some theologians believe that this is due in part by the fact that in 1 Peter, Salvanius was helping Peter write the letter, whereas in 2 Peter, it shows more characteristics of Peter's true Galilean Greek, or the natural way that he would speak. The letter is believed to be written to the same people group as 1 Peter because of the mention in 2 Peter 3. This would mean that the letter was primarily written to Jewish believers in the dispersion, which are those that were scattered throughout what is now known as modern-day Turkey. The purpose of this letter is primarily two subjects, a warning about false teachings and an encouragement of spiritual growth. 2 Peter 1 that we'll be diving into today is an encouragement of spiritual growth. Don't worry, we're not talking about false teachers this morning. The main context of this chapter is related to the characteristics of a Christian life. It's broken up into three main parts, the initiation, the continuation, and the proclamation. See, he initiates the conversation with what God has given us and blessed us with. Then he shares our character in the continuation of that blessing. Then proclaims the importance of these things and reminds us to adhere to them. So, there's a book that I always like to look into when I'm preparing for a message. It's a book by N.T. Wright. Um, they're all titled with whoever the author is, and it says, like, Paul for everyone or Peter for everyone. So I, I, I was reading into what he had to say about this chapter, and I thought this was just so beautiful that I wanted to share. Because just so you know, there's a lot of theologians that can speak a lot better than I can. So we might as well share their content. <laughs> N.T. Wright says this. All this is just the outer framework for this remarkable passage. But it is all the more important because it shows that whatever we do by way of obedience and allegiance to God and the gospel, it all takes place within the grace of God by means of the promise of God through the power of God and leading to the kingdom of God. That's a great place to start, but it's not a good place to stop because as you have noticed, the passage has plenty more besides. Central to it all is the idea that by God's grace and power in our lives, we are to learn the discipline of Christian moral development. This has sometimes been frowned upon as though it was, after all, me making myself good enough for God and leading to pride or arrogance. The framework I've just sketched should make it clear that nothing can be farther from the truth. Chapter 1 is primarily speaking about different character traits that Peter believes we should have and walk out in our lives. Today, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to read the main context of Scripture without the list of character traits that Peter lines out for us in verses 5 through 9. The reason behind this is that I first want to show simply how Peter's heart... Or, I simply want to show Peter's heart for why he shares these characteristics with us and the importance behind them. So let's dig in. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 4 and 10 through 15. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Though the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Through the knowledge of him who called us by the... Oh, I'm reading it again. <laughs> that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is the world through lust. 
Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not neglect to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent or his body, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Amen? Okay, let's dig in. We're going to start. With verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. It's significant that he chose to insert knowledge in his greeting. This is also how he started his first letter. See, to experience God's peace and grace, it is dependent on the knowledge of God. As we gain knowledge, grace and peace are multiplied in our lives. Verse 3, as his divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Here we have two main subjects, divine power and divine nature. One is given to us through his Holy Spirit. And the other, he presents as a choice, a helpful tool to escape the corruptions of the world. Divine power, divine nature. The divine, the divine power he gives us is our calling. Before you were even born, God had a purpose and calling over your life. The gift he's giving us is the blueprint to life and godliness and through the Holy Spirit, we have the knowledge and wisdom to understand it. Jesus' glory attracts, and his power produces a response. When we walk this out, it leads to a life of excellence and virtue. It's so beautiful that God's promise is that we would be partakers of his divine nature. A life of godliness, a life of great character. God allowing us to live in righteousness is what has enabled us to escape the corruption of the world. See, Peter paints this beautiful picture of God giving us his divine power and giving us a calling over our lives, then sealing us with his divine nature, which is righteousness. This helps us to carry out the character of Christ on earth. The great reminder we need is this. What piece of our character does he want to develop the most to help us carry out our calling? Divine nature and divine power. In just a moment, we will back up and read the qualities of character that God wants us to develop. However, before we do, I want you to see what Peter writes directly after going over these qualities. So we pick up in verse 10. 
Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, the one that refuses to grow is blind. It's almost as if they've forgotten their forgiveness. Peter is encouraging people to pursue their calling, which is a beautiful blend of God's sovereign call and our responsibility. Divine power, divine nature. Christian calling and Christian living go together. Verse 12, for this reason I will not be <laughs> negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth, yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. I don't know if you know this, but when they say things in three-peat in the Bible, it's probably important. He mentions... A reminder three times to produce growth believers need instruction Peter felt a responsibility to remind the believers of things he had learned truths they knew but had not really considered sometimes we forget the basic truths that God has asked us to live out especially regarding our character Peter makes it a point in his last days to give us a reminder of the character we should carry throughout our life. First and last are very important in the Bible and very important in life. Think about the final words of Paul. One of my favorite chapters, my, my favorite chapter in the Bible is in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And in part, it's purely because it's believed to be Paul's final words. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. I've run the race well. There's some of the final words of, uh, these are some of the final words of Peter. Think about it. If you were dying and you had one last opportunity to share something with, with those that you loved, I bet it would be pretty important and significant. That's what Peter's doing here. So let's jump back into the scriptures and read what Peter has to say about our character. Second Peter 1. Five through nine. But also, for this very reason, given all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Diligence, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. The grace of God demands diligence or doing one's best as we grow with the Lord. The Christian life is more than faith and practical goodness. It is also knowledge, 
which we shouldn't fear because truth leads to understanding. Next is self-control, which follows when we submit to the control of the Holy Spirit. From self-control springs perseverance, the ability to endure difficult things. To perseverance is added godliness or reverence toward God and each other. This leads to brotherly kindness, which is the outworking of the previous quality, godliness, which leads to the icing on the cake of our character, love or agape. To have a deliberate desire for the highest good of others. These nine character traits are so important for our walk with Jesus. I believe there's always a place in our character, including myself, that we can continue to grow in. As we dive into each of these character traits, my hope is that you would find something that you can apply to your life to help you grow in your character and above all else, the calling of God upon your life. So let's dig in. I'm going to be tested in my, my Greek words today. You guys ready? The best thing about Greek is that none of you know what it really sounds like. So no matter, really no matter what I say, you're going to be like, wow, a theologian. He knows this language. So the first one is diligence. Woo. Or in the Greek, spude. The word means with haste or earnestness in accomplishing or promoting or striving after anything. The dictionary definition is to be in constant or constant and earnestness of effort to accomplish what is undertaking, persistent exertion of body or mind. Okay, so how can we apply this to our lives? Don't have procrastinating faith. I'm going to say it again. Don't have procrastinating faith. Areas that you need to grow, start working on now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Tomorrow is not promised to you. Don't have procrastinating faith. Diligence. The next is faith, or the Greek word, pistis. Which means conviction of the truth. Conviction of the truth, come on. Or assurance. The dictionary definition says confidence and trust in God. I love when the secular world puts God in their dictionary. Yeah. A verse that really relates to this and resonated with my heart is this. It's in Mark 9, 23 through 24. It says this. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Now help me with my unbelief. One of my favorite conversations I ever had um, with Seth was about this specific verse. I believe, now help me with my unbelief. And I think that, that that's for each and every one of us. That's just not for the man in this scripture. Man, we can believe, but sometimes the world throws us a curveball, right? Yeah. I believe, now help me with my unbelief, Lord. <laughs> so how can we apply this to our lives? Faith is always something we can grow in. With confidence in God and belief in what he can accomplish. 
Believe the impossible to happen, because it does. I've been seeing it since I got saved. I am an impossible. <laughs> I, you could talk to people in this room that know me before I was saved, and they would tell you the crazy stories of who I used to be. The next one is virtue. The Greek word, arete. All my Greek comes out in a Spanish flavor. <laughs> the Greek word means a virtuous course of thought, feeling, or action, or any particular moral excellence as modesty or purity. The dictionary definition is moral excellence, goodness, righteousness, or an effective force, power, or potency. Whew. A verse that really related to me um, with virtue is in 1 Chronicles 29, 17, and it says this. I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now, with joy, I have seen your people who are presented here to offer willingly to you. How do we apply virtue to our life? Moral excellence with right thoughts is a pure heart. Obviously, none of us are perfect, myself included. This is why capturing our thoughts is so important. It's so important. If you're feeling tired, start with your thought life. When you wake up in the morning, say you're going to have a great day. I don't care if it's going to be the worst day ever. On my worst days, I tell myself I'm going to have a great day more than any other day of the week. <laughs> it's going to be great. We're going to have so much fun. <laughs> that was a really terrible conversation, but the rest of the day is going to be great. <laughs> Keep your virtue. Don't let anybody take it from you. The next one is knowledge, or the Greek word, gnoso. The same word as to know, or to know God. The dictionary definition is this, an acquaintance with facts, truths, or principles as from study or investigation. So how do we apply knowledge to our life? Knowledge is truly from above. And to have knowledge, we must know God. Not just read our Bible, not just study theology, but to spend time with our Father. Before I knew Jesus, I was an idiot. I can still be an idiot sometimes. I've never passed an English class in my life. And now my primary job is writing sermons. And the reason that those things have been added to my life is because I've spent time with the person that can give all wisdom and knowledge. And by receiving that and knowing God and chasing after knowledge, I now have the understanding to dive into his word and it makes sense knowledge the next one self control or the Greek word engra aha <laughs> yep yep N.T. Wright would be proud which means the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetite. Self-control. 
The dictionary definition says control or resistance of oneself or one's actions or feelings. So how can we apply this to our lives? We must always practice self-control of our fleshly desires. There's lots of other things that you could practice self-control in, but fleshly desires probably at the top of the list. And it's what God is really looking at. How much can we control our flesh and instead of feeding that, feed into our faith? Self-control. This could be in relationships. This could be in substances. Well, buckle up, everybody. It can be in food. If you can't tell, I've been an overeater since I got saved. (laughs) Gained almost 150 pounds, praise God. It has been added on to me as a blessing. Self-control. You know, before I knew Jesus, I was promiscuous. I had a lot of sexual relations, did a lot of stupid things. But you know what I did after I came to Jesus? I had a pure relationship with my wife, or my girlfriend at the time. And you know what's the biggest part of that that makes me happy? Is that when she came down the aisle, I was rewarded by God for my faithfulness. Because I practiced self-control. And you know what? I'll be reaping the benefits of that for the rest of my life. And my wife will always feel honored because I showed her honor and value. And I didn't feed my flesh. Self-control, it's so important. What a season for this word. Perseverance, or the Greek word, hu-o-ane. We've gone from Spanish to Hawaiian. In other words, patience, steadfastness, consistency, and endurance. Some things that I think the American church is lacking. The dictionary definition is steadfast persistence in a course of action or purpose, especially in spite of difficulties, obstacles, and discouragements. 2020. I love this. This is in the dictionary. In theology... A continuance in a state of grace to the end, leading to eternal salvation. I'm like, man, is Webster getting saved? What's going on here? Romans 5, 3 through 4 says this. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character... Hope. What a timely word. So how does this apply to our lives? Perseverance is a key when it comes to character. Especially as a missionary, you might need to be prepared for tribulation and suffering. Especially as an American, buckle up, you might need to be prepared for tribulation and suffering. And what's the choice that you're going to make in those seasons when the pressure has become too much? Will you choose to lean on your father? Next, godliness or we're in Hawaii, which means reverence and respect for God or holiness. 
The dictionary definition says, conforming to the laws and wishes of God, being devout. So how do we apply this to our lives? Never lose the fear of God. Never lose the fear of God. Can we say that together? Never lose the fear of God. Yep. Always keep Jesus as king, not as your president. You don't have a decision. You didn't vote him in, and you can't vote him out. And you can't storm the gates of heaven. He wins. He is king. And that is key. The next one, brotherly kindness, or the easiest Greek word to say because it's a city in the United States, Philadelphia. But let's, let's continue in the theme. Philadelphia. Oh, we've gone to another country, people. <laughs> the Greek word means phileia, or love for all people. Love of your brothers and sisters, or the person sitting to your right and left right at this very moment. Romans 12.10 says this, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. People, show love to everyone around you. People that don't believe in the gospel, don't shove it down their throat. Love on them and show them the Jesus that we believe in. Do you know what leads people to Jesus? Your character. A lot more people in your workplace would probably be saved if we would just be Jesus when we go to work. And go to work for Jesus. <laughs> the last one, the icing on the cake, the best one of all, my favorite thing about Jesus, love. And not love like the world tells you, but agape love. Love without borders. Love without borders. Or the other word would be charity or benevolent love. Putting people higher than yourself. John 21, 15 through 17 says this. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Poor Peter. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. That's kind of a little confusing. Like, what are you doing, Jesus? I know you like to say things in threes to Peter and put him in his place. <laughs> but this is one scripture verse where the American language has robbed you of something beautiful. Because there's two different words for love in this scripture. Phileia and agape. Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? Peter says, of course, Lord, I phileo you. I have love for you as a brother. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Peter, do 
love me. It's one thing to love your family as your family, but it's another thing to love a stranger as your family. Agape love is loving the stranger as you would love yourself or the people closest to you. How does this apply to your life? God's heart is for you to help show his heart to others. First Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 says this. Don't you realize that in, a, that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should do. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself may be disqualified. What will people remember when you die? Will it be your character? Are you training your body or are you just going through the motions? My physical body might not be in the, you know, most athletic shape. But I'll tell you what, my spiritual body is. If you could only see my spirit, man. He's, he's an imaginary Hulk standing behind me right now. <laughs> I spend a lot of time working on him. So if you remember anything from what I shared this morning, I would hope it would be this. The key to your calling is your character. We can't just follow Jesus. We must be like Jesus. So I ask you today, what piece of your character does he want to develop the most to help you carry out your calling? What is it? Before we transition, I just felt pressed in my heart. Um, to share share this. I'm already over on time, but you know what? There's grace. There's no service after this. <laughs> I was a drug addict for most of my life. I didn't know Jesus. No one ever shared him with me. And I never had an opportunity to receive him until I was 24 years old. And I walked through these doors high as a kite on heroin, barely, barely even able to keep my eyes open. I was in, we were in worship. We were singing the song, Set a Fire. It rocked my heart. And I say, God, if you're real, if you're real, let me feel it. People, I had felt every drug underneath the sun. There's not one drug that you can name that I have not done, unless they've invented new ones since I got sober. <laughs> and I was probably in the test phase on those too. <laughs> I share all that because when I said, God, if you're real, let me feel it. And I started to feel this tingle in my feet. And it started creeping up my body. And it got to my chest. And when it got to my chest, all the pain, all the brokenness, all the false identities, all the masks, all the hurt, everything. It was 
gone. It didn't stop there. It didn't stop there. That sensation kept creeping up my body. And as it got to my head, I felt like I was picked up. It was as if God had grabbed me and put me into his hands. Said, you are no longer a slave, but you are free. I am your father, and you are my son. He gave me identity. And I don't share that just to cry and open up your hearts. I share that because I believe there's some people in the room right now that are entrapped in bondage. You've been struggling with addiction, and my heart is broken for you because that was me. And God wants to give you that breakthrough today. God wants you to be free. I promise you, I did every drug under the sun. I loved it. But there was no sensation like the sensation I felt from the Holy Spirit. And I've never been the same since. And that's for you today. And you know exactly who you are because you're feeling a tightness in your chest.